here's the thing, Marshall. Every week, right when we hit record, we're like, all right, quick one this time. Like, we got to keep them short. We want to keep the energy up. I don't know. I have become increasingly allergic to super long podcasts. I kind of respect the 20 to 40 minute range, but we never hit the mark. We're like, all right, short one this week. And then an hour later, like, oh shit, we just like to talk a lot. It's a blessing and a curse, Brian. Mostly a curse. Welcome to episode 426 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how are you doing? Hanging in, Marshall. A little bit of a late recording tonight. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm good. How are you? Really good. Looking forward to this topic, actually. I think there's some some meat here. Ooh, I mean, I'm looking at the outline. There is a lot of meat here. Let's get into it. Before we get started on our main topic, a huge shout out to our good friends at Play. Play is the first native iOS design tool made for teams creating mobile products. You can design, prototype, and collaborate directly on your phone, making things for the phone. You can experience your design as you create it while taking full advantage of native iOS features not found in other design and prototyping tools. Uh, They're in the App Store, or you can head to createwithplay.com, download it, sign up, and we have an invite link in our show notes. Click on that if you're not able to get in, but... It's a great app, and uh, we retweeted some exciting news today. It's coming to the iPad. Ooh, that's very exciting, actually. I'm Designing I'm phone apps on the iPad sounds dope. It's great on the phone. You know, it's nice to have it on the thing you're designing it on, but it's even better to have a little bit more pixels. Best of both worlds, Brian. Ah, great. So once again, createwithplay.com. Thank you, Play. Thanks, Play. We have some new VIPs, very important pixels. Welcome into the fam. Hey. Derek Anies, Natalie Helmer, Torn Jens, Morgan Quinn, Sean Kennedy, Dylan Rose, Varun Toda, Fernando Pegarini, Akshitha Victor, and Marina Broido. Wow. You kind of burned through those real quick, Brian. Feeling confident tonight. Feeling good. Yeah. Here's the thing. This is like anything in life, right? Like you just go into the list with confidence and your mouth will figure it out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just jump in head first and hope it's the deep end. Hope it's, <laughs> and hope there's room to swim. There you go. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for uh, supporting the show this week. Be sure to catch your first sidebar. Yeah. That's at Patreon. Get your special RSS feed. Okay. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week people come together on our Patreon at patreon.com slash design details, where for just a dollar a month, just a buck a month, you get access to bonus content of the pod, an extra episode every single week. We call that extra episode the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Sidebar is just that. Next episode, we get to spend more time talking about another design topic, answer another listener question. This week, we're talking about giving blunt feedback, just telling someone that their work is bad in a kind way, but also in a blunt way. Because in a way, that is the kind thing to do. So we're going to be talking about giving hard, blunt feedback at work. If that sounds interesting, go to patreon.com slash design details. You can catch today's sidebar for just a buck. Just a buck. Just a buck. And if you do, you're going to get access to our whole backlog of sidebars and that sweet, sweet bonus app every week going forward. So thank you everyone who joined the fam this week. Everyone else, head to patreon.com slash design details. Okay, Marshall, here we go. Main topic time. I had a good conversation at work this last week. I think. I'm figuring out uh, if it was good. Someone came to me and asked, how should I level up at work? (laughs) What are the expectations of designers at the senior and above level? 
And I thought, hmm, that's a good question. So I consulted our leveling doc, but more honestly, I kind of just consulted my experience. Consulted like, what has my experience been like growing at GitHub and growing in the last few years? What do I think are the attributes, hopefully some non-obvious things that have helped me level up and I think have become the expectations for like that senior plus plus level designer. So I figured we could go through those and then I think you have some as well and we can just talk about what are the real expectations and hopefully it's a little bit more interesting than just reading down a spreadsheet of a career ladder. Cool. Sounds good. You want to start? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So number one is this is the frustrating part for people is you basically have to do the, more than what's in your job title, right? Like, of course, you show up, you get paid to do a thing, but you kind of got to do a little bit more if you want to get promoted. I think at least in my experience, the places I've worked at, you are kind of expected to operate at the next level before you're promoted to the next level, sometimes for a half, sometimes for a year, sometimes for multiple years. You got to prove you can do it. And so in order to prove you can do it, you got to start doing it, even though it's not your responsibility. Absolutely. Which makes it really hard, right? Because you actually have your day-to-day responsibilities and you got to do more. I call this marinating, Brian, where you are in the new role. You got to soak up all those juices before you truly are imbued with the flavor. You know what I mean? Oh, I like that. Yeah. So while you're marinating, how do you marinate? What are those sauces you can soak in for a while? Well, I think one obvious soaky sauce is designing things that you wouldn't normally think about designing for. So within your product area or feature set that you spend your most time thinking about, how do you go a little bit beyond that? A little bit higher level, maybe even start to think across teams, right? Like, oh, we're working on this feature. This is my job is to design this feature. But wouldn't it be interesting if my feature worked over here on this other screen? Or I wonder how it would work if it interfaced with this other team's product in, in some new and, and novel way. So that's kind of the obvious one, right? It's like more scope, more responsibility, uh, higher level thinking, that kind of thing. But there's also a lot of other sauces to soak in to continue uh, down that, that train of thinking. <laughs> uh-huh. And some of my favorites are recruiting and interviewing. I also had this. I think below the senior level, it's probably not expected for you to be doing this. But I swear, if you can get a good person to join your company, everyone is going to love you, right? Like what impact? You convinced somebody who is good at their job to quit it and come join you at your company. And this is really, really hard, especially in the current market. Like it is competitive to get designers And if you are the kind of person who has friends in the space, who has a knack for recruiting, who is plugged into whatever, some community, whether that's Twitter or you're in the discords and you just have a pulse on who's looking for work, who might, who's been around at their current company for two or three years and might be thinking about something new. If you have the ability to have conversations with those people and convince them to interview and hopefully get hired, that is an insane amount of impact for something that is not expected of you and is technically outside of at least I would assume in most places, your, your day-to-day responsibilities. I suppose all of this is a little bit colored by like, you know, big company context. Maybe at a startup, this is kind of expected. But anyways, that's one, recruiting and interviewing. Another one is building internal tools. I think one thing, it's like this meta awareness. As you're building the things you're responsible for building, what parts of the process suck? What is frustrating about the way you work with engineers or the way you work with PMs or the way that you get data? or the way that you move things between Figma and code. Like what frustrates you about the process that could make other people's lives better? Or it doesn't even have to be something that you think about all the time or impacts you directly. You could just notice that the engineers have a hard time doing a certain thing or PMs have a hard time doing a certain thing. And if you can build internal tools to help unlock other people's productivity, 
that's a huge way to have impact and create leverage for other people. And I think people will notice that and shows a lot of initiative. Um, maybe more closely to the design side is build Figma plugins. Like, you know, every organization has different restrictions on if you're allowed to use third-party plugins from the community area of Figma or if you require them to be built in-house. But in either case, just pay attention to, oh, this part of our Figma setup is really weird. I'm going to go see if there's a Figma plugin that solves it. And if not, how about I just build it? Uh, I've had a lot of success with this personally at GitHub. I don't know exactly like, you know, what percent this contributes to my growth specifically, but I think it's really just about being the kind of person who can spot these meta problems within a process, within a team, and take the initiative to figure out how to solve them. And Figma plugins are a pretty approachable way to do that. So anyways, that's my whole rant on stepping outside of your day-to-day responsibilities. How does that sound to you? Sounds exactly right, Brian. Plus one to it all. Okay. All right. Do you want to do one? Yeah. And kind of piggybacking on that just a little bit is establishing patterns or systems that are used by others. So not just building tools, but like creating a new component that provides functionality that can be used by other teams or developing a system internally that can be used by both your team, but other teams as well. Just creating order out of chaos in general is a good way to show your impact and, and and have a positive effect on not only the people who you work with directly, which is expected, but other people outside of your team, which is how you level up. I love it. Okay. Uh, my next one is becoming comfortable with killing your ideas, even if they're ideas you love, your children, the thing that you have brought into the world of your own volition. You have to uh, learn how to kill it. And this is something that I've struggled with and and had to really learn a lot in the last few years, mostly because I've had the opportunity to do so. But, you know, it's one thing to just be able to build things. Anybody can propose ideas and like, well, that's hard. Like (laughs) proposing ideas and getting them built is hard. But I think what's even harder is having the self-awareness and maturity to know when something's not working and to know when to kill it or wind it down or delete it. And the reason it's so much harder is because people just get emotionally invested in the things that we build. Sometimes it's to the point of attaching it to your identity, but other times it's just the reality of having worked on something for a long time. You know, you spend a lot of nights and hours and conversations and meetings and bash your fingers against the keyboard to produce the Figma mocks for a thing. You get out into the world and it just doesn't work. And it's easier to just let it stay there. It's easier to let that just gather cobwebs. It's a lot harder to basically step up and say, it didn't work, but rather than let it linger, we're going to kill it. We'll have the hard conversation with our customers. We'll think about the the offboarding process and you know get the product sort of back to a clean slate, so to speak, where the things that don't work don't actually end up cluttering your interface. And so I think the thing about this is you just need a lot of shots on goal in order to even get to the point where you have the opportunity to kill things that aren't working or have enough shots on goal and build enough things within an organization to know what it even means to be working, right? Like, Okay, so you ship something that solves some problem for this many people and has this amount of impact. And then is that good or is it bad? Like it's all relative. It's in the context of everything else that might have more impact or have uh, a more positive outcome for your customers that could have been built. So I think you need more shots on goal. And then, yeah, the sort of maturity and self-awareness to know that something's not working. Personally speaking, I've had a few of these opportunities. So one is uh, I built an internal tool at GitHub that we ended up shutting down. And then Spectrum was the product I worked on before GitHub that we joined GitHub to continue working on, and that has now been Sunset. 
and I put in the work to, you know, wind it down. We made it read only. We had to do a lot of communication with the customers to make sure people knew what was going to happen. So it was a lot of effort to wind it down. Uh, I remember when I first joined GitHub, one of the first projects I worked on, we worked on, it's like a team of six or eight of us. We worked on it for several months. And literally like the week we were going to ship the first preview, sort of like an alpha preview to our customers, we pulled the plug and we decided to shut it down. I didn't make that call. We didn't shut it down. But that was a moment where I had to grapple with like, oh shit, what does this mean? Like, am I in trouble? Did I do a bad job? But it was actually really cool to experience this feeling of like, no, it's okay. This is normal. Like things will shut down. Not everything is going to be a home run. And it gave me that that first taste of like, oh, this is a part of the process, right? So anyways, lots of shots on goal means more opportunities to sort of hone your awareness of what's worth keeping and what's worth killing. Yeah. Uh, when I first joined YouTube, I was leading the gaming team and we built our own app, a whole separate app. And after a few years, we learned a bunch of stuff and we ended up folding that back into the main app, which meant yeah, yeah. a lot of migration and a lot of sunsetting and timelines and like user education, you know, clarifying exactly what was going to happen and when it was going to happen and how to go through the steps and automating as much of that as possible. It was a pain, but ultimately it was a good move because like we we're moving to a better place. We we're turning down an old thing to start a new thing, but still feels bad, you know, tearing down your childhood home, right? Yeah, it sucks. And I think there, you know, there's some skill in figuring out how to do that, not only from the technical point of view, but also from like, how do you become the person who can keep team morale up while you're doing that wind down or doing that migration, right? Because everyone else might be feeling uncertain or scared or nervous about the future of their whatever safety at the company. And if you can be the kind of person who steps up and, I don't know, makes it fun or interesting or like creates a challenge out of it that other people can sort of rally behind. And that way it doesn't feel like some depressing, I don't know, going to a funeral kind of mm -hmm. event. That's also a cool skill to have. I think the thing for us on that, on that particular instance was we had to do it quick. So it's just a very fast Band-Aid ripoff, you know? Yeah, yeah. So by the time we knew we had started, it was kind of over. Not really. It was months and months of really hard work, but you get the idea. All right. What, what you got? What else do I have? Um, you're taking all the good ones, Brian. I didn't really look through your <laughs> list too heavily, and I, uh -huh. I wrote a lot of things. So yeah, I also had the interview and hiring stuff. Uh, oh, here's one. So owning and driving a large and or complex and or vague project, something that is amorphous or uncertain, like, well, we know we want to do something in this area, but there isn't any precedent. Nobody else is really doing it. Let's figure that out. Or there's a lot of users who depend on this feature. We need to make sure that we change it in a good way. Like some sort of high stakes ownership where like you are the person, you're the go-to person who does that thing and you take it through to the end. That's always a good sign that you are getting ready for a higher level, especially if you can show that as a pattern. And this is kind of what I was getting at with the marinating thing. It's not like, yeah, I hung out in some juices for a little while. I'm marinated. Like, no, no, no. It takes time and it's consistency and repetition of like, okay, this wasn't a fluke, a one-off thing. This person is capable of doing this thing over and over again. So marination. Yeah. Can I riff on that? Because yeah, I think, yeah. Owning and driving a large, complex, vague project totally makes sense. But I think it's really hard to even know how to do that because I feel like what happens, at least in my experience personally and then just sort of observing other people, is you just get stuck in this mode where you're kind of being told what to do, right? Like a product manager will come along and define the scope of a problem or a leadership, maybe it's top down or just some other senior designer like comes up with the thing that's going to get built. It's like, how do you even 
create the room to figure that out and to add to the marinating thing. I think part of it is just an equation of time. Like I think it's actually one of the sad realities that so many people, especially in tech, we have this average tenure of one to two years. So so many people quit right when the getting's good, uh-huh. right when they have the reputation established. They soaked up all the flavor. Yeah, like you've just finished absorbing it and then you bounce and like, I don't know, shake it off and hop into another Meridate mm-hmm. at some other company. Start all over. But there's so much value in being the kind of person who can link together different kind of problems across a company and have a point of view and a perspective that nobody else is able to have. And part of that, you know, it's not all about just being a product genius. Part of it's just having been around long enough and like seen what enough people are working on and become familiar enough with how your customers use the things that you're building that you just start waking up and you're like, isn't it weird that these two products don't like work together in this way? Or isn't it weird that like these two teams are doing the same thing, but they have different APIs? Like why, why is that? And once you have that visibility or that reputation within a company where you would even know those things ahead of time, then you can have a point of view. And I feel like that for me was the key. And I'm still developing this GitHub is just one of those things that's so complex and hard to wrap your head around. But I feel like, you know, I'm three years in, I'm having a point of view on certain things. I have an opinion about what the company should be building, not just at a feature level, but at a product level. And it takes time to get there. I would say, you know, you, you get some wins, you build your reputation, you maybe switch teams a few times, but you just need to put in that work to get enough experience to even understand where the opportunities are to create leverage or connect disparate ideas or synthesize like, I don't know, a tr- changing trend that you've noticed in your customers or the data. And people who end up staying for one or two years, I feel like just don't get the opportunity to see those things. So I think that's my next point of advice is just stay a little while, become an expert. (laughs) I've been at YouTube for seven years and I feel like I'm just now at the point where I understand, granted YouTube is huge and there's lots of moving parts, but I, I feel like I'm just now getting to the point where I understand most of those parts and why they are the way they are and how they integrate with one another and where those gaps right. are and where, right. where things could be improved. But it takes right. so much time to just wrap your head around it. Yeah. All right. What else? Um, I guess the the last thing is like if you get sufficiently high up, the things you're thinking about start to include solving UX-wide issues, right? So not just component-level, feature-level stuff, but org-level stuff like how do we onboard or collaboration across different cross-functional partners, right? Like how are we interfacing with our engineers and our PMs, right? Or even, you know, what are the processes we do for going through the approval of something or explorations, launches, like is the best way to do it and influencing those types of things. Those are really scary because usually like uh, this is the type of stuff I'm thinking about now and it's very much pushing what I'm comfortable with. But it's also really exciting because it's like, well, I've never done this stuff before. I'm learning a bunch and having a lot of influence that I'd never had before. I love it, yeah. Being able to influence onboarding and design team processes is so valuable, but so few people, I don't know, have the time to do it or because it doesn't seem like, at least until a certain point, there's like a role of a person who's responsible for doing that, right? Like people just end up stepping up. They're like, oh, I had a bad onboarding experience. I'm going to make it better for the next person. Yeah, well, I think this is, it takes leadership to recognize these things and then delegate yeah. and say, okay, we as leaders need to 
fix these things or make them better, or at least yeah. devote some time to thinking about them, make sure that we're doing the right thing now. Yeah. Uh, okay. I wrote that uh, it's okay to have bad ideas. You know, this is one of the things where maybe a little bit related to the things I've mentioned before, like you should have a point of view about what your company should be building. You should start to convince people to build certain things. You should be stepping outside your day-to-day responsibilities to think about new product areas, new feature ideas. But I think I've always been intimidated with this idea of like, oh, I'm expected to like know what to do and it's just got to be perfect and work out of the box. And then, as I mentioned, you get comfortable being wrong and killing those ideas. But I think this is just an important point on its own, that it's okay to have bad ideas. And for me, one of my goals is how do I figure out if an idea is good or bad as quickly as possible? And that's where you get into prototyping and research or even just thinking about like, who are people who have good taste and whose experiences I trust or you know would, would reach out to for advice? Who are the people that I can share these ideas with in a safe way? And I trust that they'll give me feedback if the idea is bad or weak, or they'll at least point me in the right direction to explore. And you know, this is just another one of those things where like you just need more shots on goal. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've come up with dopey ideas, made a silly mock or a prototype. I've recorded loom videos and I send those to the design team. I send those to people on the leadership team and they're like, eh, it's fine. Or worse, they just never respond at all. Mm-hmm. And at first I was really self-conscious about that. I was like, oh man, <laughs> they didn't even take the time to respond. Shit, it was that bad, huh? But now I'm like, first of all, that's great. Like great early signal. There was nothing compelling there. Uh, But two, it's forced me to get sort of meta and like think about, okay, was the idea bad or was my communication bad? Was my storytelling poor? Did I not deliver this in the right format? Did they see something immediately that I'm not seeing? And as I've gone down that exploration, I feel like it's just honed my own ability to think of things. I don't know. I'm not trying to sound like I, I have great ideas Uh, or I've mastered this in any way. It's just more like you just come up with enough bad ideas that it starts to become easier to tell what's maybe a good idea. Does that make sense? Oh, no, totally. Yeah. So it's okay to have bad ideas. You should come up with lots of bad ideas and tell people about those bad ideas because that's how you start having less bad ideas. Mm -hmm. Or that's how you might trigger a good idea. It's also how you grow a thicker skin and get good at killing those ideas. Ego death is something you should always strive for when it comes to this type of stuff. Especially as you get higher up, like you don't want to, well, one, you don't literally want to actually get big headed, but you also don't want to be perceived as being big headed. So presenting your ideas in a way that doesn't seem like you know everything is is a good skill to have. Yeah, I like, I learned from a, a manager at work, like if you're presenting one of these kinds of ideas where you think it might be, it might have something, but it also might be really bad to be a little bit self-deprecating out of the gate. Like, hey, I have this really weird idea or (laughs) this is a really dopey idea. What do you think? You know, like give the other person permission to be like, yeah, you were right. (laughs) That's Uh, a bad idea. I hedge like a motherfucker, man. Yeah, whenever I show stuff, I'm like, I may be an idiot and I've been looking at this for for a long time. So this could be terrible, but you let me know. Oh man, I feel like we should do a whole other episode at some point about like how to stop hedging so much. But in some cases, hedging done tastefully, I do do think opens the door for the other person to feel comfortable agreeing with that hedge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I want anyone who looks at my stuff to have zero hesitation saying this looks 
looks like shit and it's a bad idea and here's what would be better because that's where i'm trying to go anyways is what what's the good idea and if my bad idea can help you better clarify why it's a bad idea and what a good idea would be then i've done my job yep okay i have one last one which is that at a certain level I think it's very common for people to become like a coach or like a mentor or like provide feedback to other designers on the team, this kind of stuff. But I think there's way to do that that's not formal mentorship or not formal managing or not formal coaching, which is just how do you create a system where other people can see the way you work? Eventually, you will hit a level where people will look up to you and people will want to figure out how you arrive at certain ideas or how you're able to craft the pixels in a certain way or how you're able to ideate and prototype so quickly. Like whatever your superpower is, other people are probably going to want to figure out how you do that, right? Because everyone's got their own superpower. Everyone is trying to learn from everybody else. And so if you can have some transparency into your working process and your style so that other people can learn from you, ideally passively, that's awesome, right? Like is there a way that you can create a system which... Uh, might be like you record Loom videos of the way, you know, your presentations or how you're thinking through problems. And those Loom videos are public to your org and other people can watch them on their own time. Or do you write case studies about the work that you've done and shipped, whether it worked or didn't work? Are you creating sort of a an archive of decision-making and design exploration that other people will be able to benefit from without taking more of your time and for many years into the future? I feel like that's a superpower. I, the only thing I do here specifically is like my Loom videos. And I, I don't know exactly how helpful those are, but I feel like some of them have convinced people to build things or not been terrible presentations. And so having all of that, that like body of meta work, I guess, process work, just available for people, I feel like has been helpful. Uh, I don't know. Ugh. Man, here comes a hedge. I feel like all this makes me sound just like I'm so full of my own shit. But anyways, (laughs) I think the principle still stands. Like, how do you create a process where there's access and visibility into the way that you work so that other people can learn from you as you go? Fully agree. All right. Uh, Well, that's all I have. If anything else comes to mind, uh, hit us up. Let us know what you think. What other things do you think the senior plus plus designers are doing? Or what are the expectations at that level that, that you might know about or have experienced that we should talk about? Please let us know. Cool. Well, let's get into some cool things, Brian. What you got for me? Uh, okay, mine is a book. I'm almost done with them, down to like the last chapter. And I think it's good enough to recommend. So it's a book called The Courage to be Disliked. And I got to tell you, Marshall, I've been putting off reading this book for, oh, when did it come out? Like a year or two ago, maybe? I put it off because the title just really rubbed me the wrong way. You know, I read I read the title, The Courage to be Disliked, and my mind immediately was like, Oh, that sounds like some white dude writing a book about how to be contrarian and basically just kind of be an asshole and not worry about other people's opinions. Yeah, yeah. It should be called... Did you have the same perception? Yeah, I I assumed like the subtitle would be like The Courage to be Disliked or How to Be an Asshole and Not Care. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Okay, if you thought that, then that means other people listening have also thought that and heard the title and thought it was something that it's not. So... It is kind of a self-helpy book, but actually it's more of a philosophy book. So if you're interested in philosophy, this is a nice on-ramp. Well, what is it? It is a book about, fuck man, like how to live your life, how to be happy, this kind of stuff. But it's all approached from a philosophical, logical point of view. And the thing that I think is interesting about this book 
is the format. So the whole format is not some author writing, you know, do this and then do this and this. The whole book is a conversation between a student and a philosopher. So literally it just goes back and forth, you know, youth, this, philosopher, this. And they're having a conversation and the conversation takes place over five nights. So there's five sections of the book. And the conversation reads like two people having a conversation. And one of them is clearly a younger, more naive, you know, full of hot air kind of student-y type. And then the philosopher, the wise, stoic, old man, teaching people, reading all the time, writing all the time, that kind of thing. Um, but it's good. And for me, I, I studied a little bit of philosophy in college, really loved it, but never followed through on it. I don't read philosophy much. So this felt like a nice on-ramp back into that world. It covers a philosopher who I don't know anything about and had never studied who is named Alfred Adler. Have you heard of Alfred Adler? Mm, I feel like it's ringing a bell, but that might just be, I'm thinking of Ansel Adams or something, but go ahead. Okay, so you know who Freud is Mm -hmm. and you know who Jung is, right? Mm -hmm. So Adler is like the third major philosophical thinker who is the least known of those three. Like Freud and Jung are super well-known. Adler is not. And so Adler, they call it Adlerian philosophy and Adlerian psychology. And that's what this book is an introduction to. It's a high level, like here's some of the basics, the principles explained in the way that a professor might explain it to a student. So anyways, if you're like me, you heard the title, it turned you off and you didn't pick it up. Maybe it's worth a revisit. Check out a snippet. I've enjoyed it. I'm almost to the end. And uh, yeah, there's like some interesting, very nuanced contradictions. So for example, one of the chapters is about uh, why you should neither praise nor rebuke people for things. Kind of in the context of like raising a child, right? Like, But the book is the on-ramp into concepts like that. So if that sounds interesting, philosophy, check it out. Interesting. Okay, cool. The Courage to be Disliked. What a terrible title. Yeah, I don't think it's the best title, but that part of the book was it was pretty good. Like that chapter about what it means to be disliked, and like why people fear being disliked. But yeah, just written on the the title, especially in today's world of like, I don't know, contrarian writers just trying to make a wave. It felt a little bit like that at first. So anyways, don't judge a book by its cover, I guess is the lesson here. <laughs> yeah, or its title. Cool. Cool thing, Brian. My cool thing this week is probably old news by now, but I've been playing regularly enough that I should recommend it at this point. So uh, it's Wordle. You've probably heard of it. Wordle, it's like an online word guessing game. Very simple. Five-letter word, one new one every day. You get six chances to pick it. If a letter is correct and in the wrong place, it's yellow. If it's correct and it's in the right place, it's green. Otherwise, it's gray. Get six guesses and then, you know, it's over. So I really enjoy this. One, because I'm a word person. Two, because I'm a puzzle person. And it's both. And it's daily. Uh, Yeah, Brian, you've been playing. Uh, Not as religiously as you. Okay. I like it. Here's my my problem is um, you can't create an account. So they have like a streaking system. And I'm guessing it's just using local storage or a cookie or something. So like if I play one day on one computer and then I miss and pick it up on my phone or something, my progress isn't synced. So you got to kind of pick a device and commit to it. And then the second thing is like, I kind of just wish there was an app for it. Send me a push notification or something. I feel like the website is okay. I think somebody great. did build an app for it. Someone yeah. ripped it off. There was a huge, yeah. huge controversy. Yeah, this I think it's like a 25-year-old kid made an app, 
called it Wordle, branded as Wordle, and like the whole internet shit on this guy. I don't know if he ended up pulling it, but there's tons of clones out there. Anyways, I just want like an official one. Anyways, <laughs> that's that's my problem and really why I stopped. I'm like, well, if I can't have a streak, then I don't know. Yeah, maybe they're working on it. I don't know. But um, here's, uh, if you are playing, I will give you my little tips and tricks for how I play this. So your starting words are the most important thing you can do, or at least like that's that's like a huge part of this. So I'll, I will give you my knowledge of, of what works for me for starting words. So I use snail, S-N-A-I-L. That's my first word. And if none of those hit, then I do outer, O-U-T-E-R. That covers all the vowels except for Y, because that's only sometimes. And uh, it covers R-S-T-L-N-E, like the, the wheel of fortune letters, right? Most common consonants. And, and it puts them in good positions for where they often appear in words. So for example... ER at the end, T in the middle of outer, which works with all the TCH words. I originally had nails instead of snail, but I don't think Wordle does plurals. I haven't ever seen a plural word. So, do you think they would ever vary up the format and do, like right now, it's all five letter words? Is there a world where they would do, I don't know, Wordle Mini and it's like four letter words or Wordle Pro? Wordle Max. Wordle Max. <laughs> Wordle Pro Max, eight-letter uh-huh. words, uh-huh. and you get eight tries or something. Yeah. That makes sense, right? Like, there's expansion here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's Yeah, there's definitely room for growth. But uh, I've been enjoying it. I, You know, there's even the kind of fun, emergent memeiness of being able to use, like, the gray, green, and yellow square emoji without giving away what the answer is, show what your progress of figuring out a letter and then figuring out where it was and eventually choosing the right word. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really interesting how they captured that. They used emoji to capture a story very clearly. Once you know how the game is played, then you see people's grids of colors and you can piece together like, oh, this is how they thought about solving it, right? Like you can actually infer quite a lot just from those colors, which is really cool. It's very creative and obviously has helped it go viral. So props to, I think it's just the guy, just one guy, right? one guy, yeah, yeah. It's it's very simple. It's very seemingly obvious like hasn't this game already existed before i feel like this is an existing thing that they put a brand name on wordle but whatever i enjoy it i'm glad other people are playing it it's a fun word puzzle game and it's free cool cool thing uh link in the show notes link in the show notes all right let's get out of here this has been episode 426 hope you enjoyed it let us know what we thought as always we're on twitter at design details fm if you did enjoy it and want to support the pod and get access to our bonus content uh, head to patreon.com slash design details for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. You can get access to bonus content called the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Today's sidebar, we're talking about giving blunt feedback. So if you want to hear that, our whole backlog of sidebars and all future sidebars going forward. Once again, that's patreon.com slash design details. That's it. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Nice. That was an energetic one. Yeah. Put some stank on that one. (laughs) Put some English (laughs) on it, yeah.